0: I came in this morning and there was just like this scent of Lysol and pine in the building. And we had our church cleanup day yesterday and I thank everyone that came and cleaned up. We had a whole long list of stuff to do and we got it all done and it was, it was a great time. So thank you to everyone that came and helped out. This morning we are, consider, uh, we are continuing our series on fervent prayer. And I thought this morning the way I would open today's sermon was simply reading a few verses on the top on Jesus' teaching on prayer. Okay, so I just picked out a few verses and there's a theme to these four verses. And that is each of them has the word whatever in it. Okay, so listen to what Jesus says. The first is from Mark chapter 11, verse 24. He says, Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now that's quite the promise. Okay, second one. John 14 verses John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Similarly, John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. One more, Matthew 21, 21 through 22. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith faith and do not doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer... You will receive if you have faith. Now that's quite the list of verses, is it not? I mean, whatever you ask, you will receive. And and to be honest, I had a whole long, for the sake of time, I had to narrow it down to a few. There could be a number of of verses that could continue to be listed. And Jesus just gives us a picture of such an expectation in our prayers. Whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive. And if we just took this right here on face value, you'd think, we're going to get whatever we ask for. And then, uh, and there would never be any unanswered prayers. But to be honest, even as we gather this morning, reality seems to speak something different. In fact, today's message is titled, Unanswered Prayers. And in many ways, I wish we didn't have to have a sermon on unanswered prayers, especially when we look at these type of verses. But we've got to wrestle with what has our Christian experience been as well. And so this morning, I'm going to ask us to think about this idea of unanswered prayers and how does it jive with these verses from Jesus' teaching. And so to get us started, let's just take a minute and... uh, I bet if you look in your own life, you can uh, think of an unanswered prayer. In fact, let's do that. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and pause and quiet ourselves and bring to your mind one unanswered prayer from your own life. And let's just sit with that for a second. Is there an unanswered prayer in your own life? Father God, now as we pause and uh, and lift up our sermon to you today, God, we have this unanswered prayer at the forefront of our minds. And we pray and invite you to come and to speak to us and to impress upon us your truth for our hearts and for our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I thought about this idea of unanswered prayer, I just uh, I began to think about those in my life that I know that have unanswered prayers in their lives. And, it, and these faces started coming into my mind's eyes. And I see the face of a woman who has been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And she undergoes so many treatments. And with each one, she has prayed that the cancer would be taken from her body. And she has prayed, and she has prayed, and she has prayed. And with every test, it reveals that the cancer has not regressed, but progressed. And the Lord does not seem to answer her prayers. And I see the face of a couple who desperately wanted children of their own, and they tried, and they saw doctors, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and now they are well beyond childbearing years, and yet the Lord did not answer their prayers. And I see the face of a teenager who dreads going to school each day because of fear of being bullied. And the mean-spirited adolescents keep her awake at night so that While she lays there awake in bed, she prays and she prays and she prays, and yet it seems to make little difference. The Lord does not answer her prayers. And I see the face of a caring wife who longs for her husband to be saved. And every morning she wakes up early to pray, and on her knees she has for years prayed that God would work in the heart of her husband and bring him to faith. And she prays and she prays and she prays, and yet there is no difference. The Lord does not seem to answer her prayers. And all of these examples are heart-wrenching. And they could easily be about many people from almost any church, but the faces that come to my mind are all people from West Covina Christian Church. And so we, what do we make of this? Even as we sit with, our, with brothers and sisters in the Lord here this morning, knowing that in our own minds comes an unanswered prayer, and surely it does to the person to, the, to our left or to our right. How are we to wrestle with this? Why are there unanswered prayers when the scripture text that I read already seem to speak so differently? Now, before we answer that question, let, it, let me give one more example of an unanswered prayer. I see the face of, an, of a godly man who has served the Lord faithfully for a long time. In fact, he has been used by God in very significant ways to do the work of the Lord. And while he has served the Lord faithfully and passionately, he suffers from a physical ailment. And his one simple request has been, Lord, take this pain away from me and heal my body. And he has prayed and he has prayed and he has prayed. But it has become clear that the Lord will not answer his prayer. Now this last example is actually the Apostle Paul. And even the the spiritual giant, the Apostle Paul, had unanswered prayers. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. These are the words of Paul himself. So we keep, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should come, uh, that, that, it, that it should leave me. But he said to me, Outside of the person of Jesus, I would would say we are hard-pressed to think of anyone that is more important in the Bible than Paul himself. I mean, Paul is this huge spiritual giant. You would think whatever he would pray, just God would do it, right? I mean, here is a man that has been used by God to heal other people. Like, I'm thinking of the story in uh, Acts chapter 14. There's a man there that's been crippled from birth. He's never walked And he hears uh, Paul preach and Paul turns to him and he says to him, stand up and walk. And what does the man do? On these legs that he's never used before, he stands up and he starts walking around the room. Here's a man that's been used by God to heal others. Here's a man that uh, of God that has suffered for the Lord. Surely God would answer the prayers of someone who has suffered for the Lord. In fact, if we turn back just one chapter in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, we get a list of all the way that ways that Paul's has suffered. He's been imprisoned, he's been beaten more than once almost to the point of death. He's been stoned three times. He's been shipwrecked. He's been lost at sea. He says he's been been in danger wherever he went. A person that uh, God has used to heal others, that has suffered for the Lord. A person that has been in the very presence of God himself. Earlier in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was caught up into the third heavens into the very throne room of God itself. He says, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But he says, I was in the presence of the Lord. Now, if I read all of those things, I would think, this guy, God's going to answer whatever he prays. It's without a doubt, but yet that is not the case. When Paul prays, Lord, please take this, take from me this thorn in my flesh, the answer to his prayer is no, request denied. Now, what is the thorn in Paul's flesh? It's kind of ambiguous. Many scholars have speculated on what it may be. Uh, Because it's, quote-unquote, in the flesh, most people think it's some sort of physical ailment. And so as I prepared for this message, I came across all kinds of uh, possibilities. One scholar says it's a pain in his ear or in his head, another fever a speech handicap, but the most popular assumption is that Paul had bad eyesight. We know this because he had to have his letters dictated. Uh, I mean, he dictated his letters, and at one point in 2 Thessalonians, he says, now this part I write in my own handwriting, and he writes in these huge letters. Paul's eyesight we know was bad, and maybe that's his thorn in the flesh. Others speculate that it's some sort of psychological ailment like personal anxiety, depression, or deep-seated doubt. And all that to say, we don't know exactly what Paul is referring to here, but maybe that's for the best. Because as one commentator said, the ambiguity about what Paul's thorn in the flesh might be allows others to identify their own personal thorns with Paul's and to appropriate the theological lesson so in other words we can sympathize with Paul's weakness because all of us have had in one way or another thorns in our flesh we've had difficulties we've had hardships we've had ailments and relationships that are that are that are bad we've had struggles in one way or another and it's only natural To say, why? Why won't you take this thorn away? It's an honest question that should be wrestled with honestly. Now, we're going to look at a a couple different things, but before we go any farther, let's just say that part of the reason uh, our prayers may be unanswered is it lies with the person that is praying the prayer. That the prayer prays in the wrong way, or for the wrong thing, or with the wrong heart. And so as we read these fantastic verses from Jesus this morning, we'll notice even in those verses, if we look at them very carefully, there are some conditions in those verses that we are to pray in faith, that we are to pray in Jesus' name, that we are to abide in Him, and, and and so forth. Jesus says these type of things. So in light of that, I've tried to boil it down to a checklist. And I boiled it down to eight questions, all right? I know eight questions is a lot. But I think these things are helpful. In fact, I'll be honest, as I uh, read off our checklist here, as I've wrestled with this this morning, uh, for this week, I've been convicted on a lot of these questions myself. And so when we consider unanswered prayers, let's first of all look at ourselves and look at the prayers that we are praying one question we could ask is, "How is my relation, or is my relationship with God, where it should be?" That's a that's a pretty powerful question right there. Is my relationship with God where it should be? I'll be honest; sometimes I think my prayers are hindered because my relationship may not be with, uh, may not be to the point where. I am praying in the way that I should pray because my life is not where it should be. Going back to one of these verses that I read in John 15, Jesus said that if we abide in Him, then our prayers will be answered. One question to ask ourselves is, is my relationship with God where it should be? A second question, do I need to confess sin and repent? Sin can be a huge hindrance to prayer. That kind of should be a no-brainer, but uh, we need to think about this carefully. Sin can be a huge hindrance to our prayers. The psalmist said, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. If If we are living with known or willful sin in our lives, then it ought to be expected that our prayers would be hindered. Third question, am I asking with the right motives? James said, when you pray, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That's James 4, three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives. Sometimes we pray simply out of selfish motives for personal gain or for pleasure. And sometimes we pray out of sinful motives out of pride or revenge or anger. And so it is a challenge for us to examine our hearts, where our motives at. Fourth question, would it glorify God if this prayer was answered? Would it glorify God or am I praying for myself to be glorified? Who's going to get the credit if this prayer is granted? And oftentimes we pray not for God's glory, but for our own glory. But God longs for our prayers to put Him first, God's desire is to answer prayers that are for His glory. Fifth question, am I praying with faith? Now, if we go back to the list that I, of the uh, prayers that I read at the beginning today, this is the number one qualification for our prayers to be answered according to the teaching of Jesus, that we must pray with faith. When we pray, do we actually expect Jesus to hear us? And to answer and, uh, and to respond. Are we praying with faith? Sixth question. I know this is a lot of questions, but to me these are very good questions. Sixth question. Is what I am praying in line with God's Word? In other words, why would we expect God to answer a prayer if it's against the Scripture's teaching? Or if it's against the nature and character of God Himself as taught us in the Bible? God answers prayers that are in line with what His Word teaches and in line with who He is. Seventh question, is what I am praying in line with God's revealed will for my life? You see, God reveals things for our lives, and yet, we, and when we pray, we ought to pray in such a way that it lines up with what He has shown us about how He wants us to live. And so if He calls us to go in a certain direction... We ought to expect prayers that are for a different direction to be frustrated. And then lastly, have I prayed hard enough? Have I prayed hard enough? This, prayer, this question really comes to mind from what Pastor Steve preached on last week about the, the widow who goes before the unjust judge and just keeps on knocking and yelling until, her, until she receives justice. And God teaches us to pray hard and to pray with fervency and to pray with perseverance is the reason we have uh, our prayers are unanswered is because we haven't prayed hard enough. And I have, as I said, that to me is a powerful list. There is a lot there and I am convicted on many of these things. And it's a challenge for all of us to examine our hearts and to see if we are praying with pu- purity and with faith, and with perseverance. And it's a challenge for us as a church together, because maybe the reason that our uh, prayers do not have the power that we would long for them to have at times is because we are hindered because of sin, or because of a lack of faith, or maybe we are not praying with the kind of perseverance that God has called us to pray with. And this is why we bring all of this up, because Pastor Steve and I really feel with all of our hearts that God is calling us to be a church of fervent prayer. Okay, so that's a checklist for us to hang on to. But now in light of this checklist, let me just emphasize that prayer is not a fixed formula. And simply to go through the checklist and to get things, everything in a row, does not mean that we will always get the results that we want. Some preachers say, name it, claim it. Name it, claim it is heresy. Prayer is not magic, and it is not getting what we want from a genie in the bottle named God. If anything should be clear about our sermon series on fervent prayer, it it is that prayer is a relationship with God. And if prayer is an honest and true relationship with a living God... Then there, are, then there is mystery to prayer. In other words, if God is in heaven and He is alive and He can hear us and He responds to us and we believe that God is living and active, then we ought to understand that God will act in ways different than the ways we pray at times. And so there is mystery in prayer. Paul said, For now we see through a glass darkly, in other words, we don't always have a crystal clear perspective on every situation. We don't always know what's fully going on. There is mystery to prayer. I grew up in Iowa, and I remember when I was growing up, if I woke up and I saw all the snow coming down at the window, I was excited because I'd, I'd run down to the kitchen window and there was a fence outside, this is what my parents told me, there was a fence outside the uh, window that was about 25 feet away. If I couldn't see the fence because of all the snow, chances are school was going to be canceled that day. So I was hoping, no fence, no fence, because you get to just stay home and relax. Now you always had to make up the, year, the day at the end of the year, but on the day, oh boy, that's a great thing, get to stay home. But, in, uh, but when there was a blizzard... You couldn't do anything. You just had to stay home. You couldn't drive anywhere. In fact, I remember oftentimes people getting in accidents during the middle of the blizzard, and it's not because they hit a car that was oncoming. It was because they simply just drove into the ditch. They couldn't see the road that was before them. And it reminds me that when we pray during difficult seasons, we are praying in the midst of the storm. And it is sometimes not until the weather clears that we are really able to see clearly. But while we are in the storm, the visibility is simply not there. We cannot see the path that is before us. But the good news is that God can. And God has the big picture that we do not. And it is at this point that we have to have faith as believers, as Christians, to trust in the Lord's goodness and in His wisdom and in His plan. Romans 11 says, Oh, the riches of the oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You see, at the core of our relationship with God is a knowledge that God is good and that God has what is best in mind for us. And it. And I just, I'll say that again because I really want that to sink in. As Christians, this is at the core of our relationship with God. It is a knowledge that God at His core is good and He wants what is best for us. You see, when we begin to grasp that God in His nature is good and He wants what is best for us, for us, it changes our lives radically. Sin does not look so attractive when we really believe that God has what is best in mind for us. And unanswered prayers, even though they are very difficult, if we really trust in the goodness of God, it it can change the way that we pray. And so we pray according to His goodness and His wisdom and His plan. A number of years ago, there was a movie, Bruce Almighty. This movie was uh, 2003. Whenever I see dates like that, I feel very, very old because I remember seeing this movie. And uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Almighty, Bruce Nolan, played by Jim Carrey, was a down-on-his-luck TV reporter who complains to God that God is not doing his job correctly. And as only Hollywood could do, God offers the TV reporter a chance to try to be God for a week. And everything is, as you can guess, everything is a mess. To impress his girlfriend, he lassos the moon and pulls it near in order to enhance the romantic mood, mood, simultaneously causing a tidal wave in Japan. And he answers prayers to everyone who prays to win the lottery, thus creating 400,000 winners and diluting the grand prize to almost nothing. And in the end, he ends up granting yes to every request and everything absolutely goes haywire. And I know it's a ridiculous movie, but there is a basic truth there, that God answers prayer with a wisdom that we cannot always see. God answers prayer with a wisdom that we cannot always see. When we think about prayer, we need to keep in mind that there are always two perspectives. There is a heavenly perspective and there is an earthly perspective. And right now on this side of heaven, all we have is the earthly perspective. Unless God reveals something to us, which he does at times. But one day, we will see things clearly from God's point of view. And when we do, we will be filled with praise towards God for his goodness and his wisdom. Paul, in this passage in Second Corinthians 12, he uh, he does grasp at least in part why God doesn't answer his prayer. Verse 7, he says, So, to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So, in other words, Paul realizes that God has not answered his uh prayer requests to keep him from becoming conceited or to be or for becoming prideful and so this is god's grace so that paul could learn to rely on the lord and and in his weakness to find god to be his strength and even though paul didn't get the answer that he wanted god did give him an answer verse nine is that answer this is the words of god uh, to jesus or to paul My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God didn't answer Paul in the way that he wanted. The thorn remained, request denied. However, the answer to Paul's prayer was to give Paul a richer endowment of God's strength to overcome his own personal weakness. As commentator F.F. Bruce says, His prayer was indeed answered, not by deliverance from affliction, but by his receiving the necessary grace to bear it. And my prayer is that all of us, that that truth would sink into us as well. Especially when we wrestle with unanswered prayer, that we would understand that God would give us the necessary grace to bear it. And so may we continue to ask God for specific things, but as we do Maybe we need to expand our prayers a little bit too and to pray, God, in the midst of all of this, may you change me. May you change me. May my character be transformed so that I become the type of person that trusts in you, in your goodness, that relies on your strength in my weakness. So that I uh, come to know you and that you really long for what is good You really long for my own good and you are doing all things together for Christ's good. 2 Corinthians 12.10 in the New Living Translation says it this way, since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weakness. And so here is the uh, point I want to drive home when we think about the mystery of prayer. Everything God does is for Christ's good and for our good, whether we understand it this side of heaven or not. Everything God does is for Christ's good or for our good. Part of that may just simply be God's trying to get our attention and to draw us back to himself. But God is doing all things for his own good and for, and for our good. Paul goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that's a pretty all-inclusive list. Think back to the prayer requests that you brought to your mind at the beginning of the sermon. Does that fit within that list? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. It is not that God does not answer prayers. We talk about unanswered prayers. It is not that God does not answer prayers. It's that sometimes He doesn't answer prayers exactly the way that we have prayed them. But His answers may have far more significance than what we can grasp this side of heaven. You see, God does not act without purpose. He is always looking out for our good and for His glory. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes it any easier while we are going through it. I gave you all these examples from our church at the beginning of this uh, sermon. And when I think about those individuals, with each one of them, my heart really does break. And all of our hearts hurt when we think of those that are suffering with unanswered prayers. I grew up in a house in which unanswered prayers seemed to hang, seemed to be like the smoke that hovers near the ceiling when you burn something on the stove. It's just kind of always in the atmosphere, and you can't quite get away from it. For us, the unanswered prayers revolved around the physical disabilities that my brother had because of a farming accident when he was just a toddler. At one year old, he had stumbled into a dangerous piece of farm equipment, and the whole side of his face was all cut up and marred. But it wasn't just his physical appearance that was difficult. Over time, he healed with scars. But what was really hard for the family is because it affected so much of the, his ability to, to uh do things that needed to be done as a kid like he really struggled in school because of one side of his face uh, that's that eye didn't wasn't able to focus with the other eye and it made it very hard to see letters and numbers on the page and so he struggled to learn to read and to make things even more difficult, my brother is really a people person and he loved to be around other people. But because of his disabilities, my parents decided it was best that he be homeschooled to keep up with his academics. And as I think back on all of these things, I can remember my mom sitting in a chair and, and crying and praying. And I remember my parents arguing about what needed to be done with my brother and I remember I eventually I acted out in school because I was longing for some sort of attention that I wasn't able to get at home and that is and that's not to mention the struggles that my brother had and I am sure that my parents prayed and they prayed very diligently for his healing but he was not healed not in the ways that they were praying at least and as I think about these things today, in this sermon on unanswered prayer, there is a mystery still to, to that, uh, that event with my family. And I don't know exactly why God didn't answer my prayers, my parents' prayers, but surely he did answer in one way or another, because I can say along with Paul that God's grace was sufficient. And that God's power rested upon us. And that maybe through it all in ways that I won't be able to recognize until I get to heaven, that somehow we learn to rely on Christ more and to love Him more. And so as I close today's sermon, I want to draw our attention to Jesus one more time. Remember these teachings of Jesus And as we read these verses, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. It is interesting to note that even Jesus himself did not always have his prayers answered exactly in the way that he prayed. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible Bible says that he prayed three times, just like Paul said he did in this passage. Three times he prayed towards his heavenly Father for the cup of suffering to be taken from him. And as he agonized in prayer, his sweat became like drops of blood. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And with those words uttered, Judas Iscariot approached with the soldiers, torches in hand to arrest him, try him, and to crucify him. From an earthly perspective, even Jesus' prayers went unanswered. But we also know that there is a heavenly perspective. And on on this matter, we have that perspective. That it was because uh, Jesus did drink the cup of suffering that our sins are able to be forgiven and we are able to be saved. For in God's kingdom, all things, and I mean all things, Are working for our good and for God's glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we have considered this topic of unanswered prayer, I pray that you would help us to keep on praying. To pray with faith and with fervency and with perseverance. And as we pray, may we be changed so that we can say God your grace is sufficient for us for in your power you are seen in our weakness and Lord we thank you even though it's hard to say we thank you for thorns in our flesh because in some way they are drawing us closer to you and they are a reminder that you have all things in your plan and even if we don't understand at this side of heaven God, we are mindful that you are working all things together for our good and for your glory. And so in light of that, God, we trust in your goodness and we trust in your wisdom and we trust in your plan for our lives and for our church. And we commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.